So we had over 24, 26 days in Phoenix with over 110 degrees. Mm. Got our first rain last night. And you know what it did? It took made it human out. and sticky. It made it human and sticky for a brief period, but it also took out one of the trees that's been littering shit into my backyard. And today, my backyard was the cleanest it's been in at least two years. Wow. So it must have been a pretty vicious storm, storm oh, coming through then, huh? Wicked, dude. Yeah. Like there, three trees were ripped down. A little bit of rain came with mostly it was a lot of wind and a lot of pumping and sweating is what it was. A bunch of trees got <laughs> taken down. I had to go out and pull my flagpole down off the off the roof. Mm. Uh, and then everything that wasn't nailed down, I had to go like the umbrella that we put over the where the dog poops. I had to pull that out. I had to batten the hatches down on the grill. And oh, it was wicked. And it was a dust storm on top of that. So I went out in snowboard goggles. And a COVID mask. <laughs> exciting <laughs> shit, Leon. Exciting <laughs> shit. Very exciting. I oh. can't say I've ever been through one of those. Oh, it's <laughs> it's the taste of summer. And it's a shame we don't have more. But welcome to Phoenix. Yeah. Podcast. I am your host, Danny Paul. Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life, son. Joining me in the Bob Media Studios is the Baron of Bourbon, the Kaiser of Cali, the Liege Lord of Loathe, Leon Coventry, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, how you doing? Happy Thursday, Leon. Our, Happy our Thursday. last one. This in is our July. last of July, and you know what July is? July is. Juicy July. Can I taste your juice? Yes, you may. <laughs> One of our best sound effects, I'd say. We are, <laughs> we are recording this on the 27th of July. We have to think about what next month is. What, what, what do we associate with August? Gust, mm. August, Augustus, something Roman. Something Roman. Hmm. Anything with Vino? What do you think? What what uh, what speaks to you when you think of August? Uh, Hot as fuck. Your balls are sticking together. Anal. <laughs> it is the bottle of brown. <laughs> yeah, it's the wrong kind. Oh, speaking of brown town, what's your brown for this evening, sir? What's your juicy July? Um, I am doing the same drink that you did in the Ooh, beginning of Juicy July. No way. Yep, I went and bought the triple sec. Urban orange crush, and, and I bought. Got the orange juice, and I will agree with you. It is really refreshing. It is good stuff, isn't it? It is. I I'm a fan. I think this will be a summer staple for me now. Yeah, look at that. A little bit of orange juice goes a long way. I think it does. It does. It almost it. It's almost like a creamsicle bourbon. Mm. It's so refreshing. What do you What do you got? Tonight? I remember being super good. I am doing a mezcal mule, not a Moscow mule, a mezcal hmm. mule. Oh. So my juice is lime. And it is, it is the, uh, I did the Dos Hombres Mezcal, the Breaking Bad Boys. Mm -hmm. I did that. And then I did some, uh, some Bundaberg ginger beer. Ooh, and there you go. I put in some, uh, put in some lime juice. And so my Juicy July is a Mezcal mule. And, and what's your review? Um, I think the Mezcal is a little too strong, mm. even for the ginger beer. Mm. Typically a Moscow mule is vodka and you could do, you could do a different kind of mule with the... Uh, 
with tequila, with Blanco tequila. But I think a mule really lends itself to like a grain alcohol. So like a vodka or maybe the soju we were talking about earlier, the Korean drink, any mm-hmm. kind of malt, like that would be good for a mule because the ginger comes and the lime comes. But I think mezcal by itself is a little overpowered. Yeah, it's it's a potent taste. Did we talk the other day about uh, Bloody I'm not putting Marias? It down. Guy I go golfing with a lot likes drinking Bloody Marias. And uh, I never even heard of it. Explain. It's a Bloody Mary, but in place of vodka, it's tequila. Okay, I can see that. And uh, so it's kind of similar to what you got. Replace the vodka with tequila. But apparently it's delicious. There's a lot going on in a Bloody Mary, though. So yeah, yeah, you can counteract similar. some of that. If it has clam juice in it, it becomes a michelada. But I think if it's just the tomato juice and the spices, then it's just a it's a Bloody Maria. Yeah. But uh, good time, man. It's good time. So this, this will wrap up our... So sad. This will wrap up Juicy July. Can I taste your juice? <laughs> I hope that no, none of our bobs are listening to this loudly oh, in an office setting. Out there. Uh, we are recording on this Thursday, the 27th of July. If you want to call the show, 602-529-4562, leave a message and we'll uh, we'll play it on the air Give at bottleofbrown at gmail.com. And of course, you can always hit us at bottleofbrown.com. But now that we're done talking about brown, what do you say we uh, talk about brown? How you doing? Whiskey and whiskey. This is the darkest brown you got. Yeah. Say, Holmes, uh, where are they hiding the scotch? What about, um, brown? That's code for bourbon. Great stuff, this bourbon. Comes from a land called Kentucky. Talk about brown. There's a special rung in hell reserved for people who waste good scotch. Scotch? Oh, yes, I, I think so. Can I have one more of these with some booze in it, please? The nice talk about brown comes to us from Cook's illustrated now i'm a big fan of cooks illustrated i got a subscription for mr jones because it is a cooking magazine and he is a cooking fiend it is something that i would probably get for you as well leon because i know you like to dabble in the kitchen this particular one interested me to no end because it was published back in may 24th so i've been sitting on it for a while but i think it applies to brown news because it is what is the difference between brewing and distilling well i want all of the the listeners out there to be educated on this. And I'm glad we're, we're covering it. Do finally. you know the difference? Are you, are you sandbagging me? Or are you, are you going to learn something tonight? I mean, I'm sure I'll learn something, but I've, yeah, how many times have we been to the Coors Light Brewery <laughs> and I've we been have, to quite a few distilleries. Golden. So we, I can tell you a lot of differences. Our hand. Yep. For yeah. sure. <laughs> but you've also been to a legit distiller over in Kentucky. So a couple you've of been, them. Yeah. You've been both. Uh, but the liner for this article is follow liquors delicious journey from grain to glass. Here we go. At one point in the 2003 naval epic Master and Commander, the crew of Russell Crowe's ship gets a day's shore leave on a tropical island where they play cricket, collect beetles, and distill fresh liquor from the local cactuses. Record scratch. You can't make liquor in a day, and the scene carelessly muddles up brewing and distilling, two entirely different processes that both contribute to making liquor. Now, a side note here, that movie was bitching, and they needed to make more of them. So Never saw I'm going to forgive. Oh, it's... It's fucking late 1800s South American pirate story. And Russell Crowe's a ship commander and he's going up against a French guy and they chase each other and play cat mouse the entire movie. Hmm. How would you compare it to Down Periscope or Captain Roy? (laughs) It has elements of Down Periscope, but without the humor. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Because I like the funny. It's uh, it's a Navy movie. It's like a, it's seriously ships chasing each other on the high seas. It's bitching. Anyway, hey, sidebar. Brewing is the process of fermenting grain, fruit, or other ingredients to make alcoholic beverages, including beer, wine, hard cider, and 
sake. Distilling is the process of taking an alcoholic brew and concentrating it to make whiskey, vodka, gin, or any other brown. What is brewing, you ask? Although we use the word brewing in reference to coffee and tea, today we're here to talk about alcohol because this is the Bottle of Brown podcast. Brewing in this context means encouraging grain, fruit, other ingredients to ferment into an alcoholic drink. The majority of work here is done by yeast, the helpful fungus that converts sugar into alcohol and carbon dioxide. The same species of yeast, Saccharomyces cerevisiae, is used for both brewing and baking, and many thousands of strains of that species exist specialized for various tasks. Some starting ingredients, such as grapes, other ripe fruit, are already full of sugar and ready for the yeast to go to work. Many others, though, such as the grains used to make beer or whiskey, are predominantly starch. For those, the brewer needs to jumpstart the process by breaking down starch into the sugar that yeast eat. That's commonly done by cooking also called mashing, with enzymes known as amylases, which in this case of whiskey are typically provided by malted barley. Once the grain has been mashed and it's full of fermentable sugars, it's called wort. Wort. W-O-R-T. Wort. Now the yeast it doesn't can do sound the very delicious. It doesn't sound you know, very delicious, does it? And I think they named a, it like that. So you won't a mash it. ton, but that's, that's the way we make our, our beloved brown. Now the yeast can do their job over the course of several days as the fruit, wort, and other sugar sources sit Yeast ferment the sweet liquid into an alcoholic and sometimes bubbly one. As the alcohol content rises, it kills the yeast. Once the brew reaches about 10 to 15% alcohol, the yeast die off and fermentation stops. Take the brewing process to this point and you've got beer. If you start with grapes, you've got wine. If your aim is a deliciously drinkable beer or wine, additional steps such as aging, filtering, hopping are required. But if you want to make hard liquor, which typically comes in at at least 40% alcohol, you got to distill it. Distilling is a physical rather than biological process, which means it's generally simpler than brewing. However, it's also illegal without a license in the United States, which is why home brewing of beer is a popular hobby and home distillation of spirits is typically done in secret. Laws vary, though. Home distillation without a license is perfectly legal in New Zealand, whereas home brewing is illegal in Japan. What do you think so far, Leon? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy I was right in my head before you even went down this What were you road. right about? That... It's the extra step that becomes distilling. It's it's the you got to start concentrating and putting it through a still. You got to evaporate it up, and you got to keep doing it over and over until you get the right alcohol content. Very true. Very true. Yep. So thanks to the miracle of physics, the two liquids, water and alcohol, boil at different temperatures. Water at two hundred twelve degrees Fahrenheit, alcohol at one hundred and seventy three. Which that means is when the mixture heats up, the alcohol starts to evaporate first, and the water afterwards. A still as in distill, is a device designed to take advantage of that. In simplest terms, it heats up the brew, captures the alcohol vapor as it evaporates, and condenses it back into a liquid drop by drop. That process definitely separates the components according to their boiling points, which works out to the same thing as separating them according to their alcohol levels. As the distillate comes out of the still, it starts off highly alcoholic and gradually becomes less alcohol and more water. By selecting only some of the stills output, a distiller can concentrate the alcohol to create a potent spirit as desired. This clear spirit is frequently aged as a next step to mellow the flavor. And if the aging is done in wooden barrels rather than stainless vats, in the case of whiskey, brandy, and rum, to impart some color and flavor from the charred wood. And thus, brown is born. And we are all smarter for it. That's right. I don't know about you, but I'm excited. <laughs> No, I mean, it's, you know, what's crazy is this came up, they came up with this how long ago? Like if you would have told me, hey, put that really disgusting shit into a bottle, into, into a barrel, but make sure that barrel just looks like it got burned. I just want it to be all kinds of char and then drink it. 
but not now. They're like five or six years. Like, so I'm uh, very, I'm very nope. curious by this now because you bring up a very interesting point is wine has been around for thousands of years. Mm -hmm. Sake has been around for thousands of years, but yet hard alcohol, I mean, they don't have things here like mead, you know, that the Vikings drank and they don't have some of this other stuff here. But basically what they're talking about is at some point they figured out beer and what the 1500s, the six, the monks did, they mm -hmm. figured out beer. And then your first distilled spirit was probably somewhere in the 16. 1700s, maybe? You know so, what? That would be a good brown news. Make a note to self. <laughs> when was the first distilled spirit? Anyway, awesome stuff. And we're here to enjoy it. Cheers to you, sir. Cheers to you. So you some brown news? Let's get to our top story. News team, assemble! Let's get down, let's get down to business. And I got news for you. Leon, this one fascinated me. Because this is real shit. I got this one from Business Insider. Modern day pirates. Yar. Are we talking about like Captain, what's that? The one with uh, Tom Hanks. Captain. Captain yeah, yeah. We're so we're talking about him. And we're talking okay. about Blackbeard. We're okay. talking about uh, Black Bart. All right. We're talking about. Uh, we're talking about all these guys that raped and pillaged and robbed and stealed and, you know, yo, ho, ho, and a bottle of rum. These pirates still exist today. Yeah, Modern day I'm piracy just... is alive and well on the open seas, my friend. I'm riveted. Can't wait to hear this story. Here we go. The article begins, oh, the article, uh, oh, Tuesday, it's two days old. Today's seafaring smugglers may have traded the swashbuckling sword play of yesteryear for modern day missiles and mines, but piracy remains alive and well on the open seas. Somewhere in the world today, there's a pirate event. Terry McKnight, retired rear admiral in the U.S. Navy, told Business Insider. A government seizure notice filed in court earlier this month helped shed light on the present-day loot these smugglers often traffic. And if you're looking at this picture, Leon, that's 10,000 rifles, 200 rocket launchers, and nearly 800,000 rounds of ammunition and other weapons seized by the U.S. government. Dang. Pirates! Yarr. <laughs> And not one plank. No, I did a not plank a the other pair. night. I laid oh, down yeah? in the bed and I straightened my body out and half my body was sticking off the edge of the bed. I was like, look, a plank. <laughs> and Mrs. Danny just rolled her eyes at me. You remember that phenomenon? Planking? That was awesome. That was a thing. That was a thing. Like almost 20 years ago. Yeah. Better than some of the other ones like eating Tide Pods. All you got to do is stretch out and be as flat as a board on a table or somewhere. <laughs> yeah. The more ridiculous, the better it was. Dopes. The United States Naval Forces Central Command and its seizure notice included a series of striking photos showcasing, showcasing thousands of weapons and nearly 800,000 rounds of ammunition seized from four vessels wow. sailing in international waters in the Gulf of Oman and the Arabian Sea in 2021 and 2023. Four boats carried all this. Uh, they believe the, Na the Navy believes it was part of an Iranian smuggling operation to support rebel forces in the Yemen Republic amid an ongoing civil war. Weapons smuggling across international waters is nothing new. In fact, pirate attacks are generally on the decline with 2022 seeing the lowest number of piracy incidents since 1994, according to a Open report everybody. from International Maritime Bureau. But McKnight, who was the first commander of an international anti-piracy task force, said the problem of piracy is unlikely to ever be entirely eradicated. As long as ships go to sea, there's going to be piracy. So what we're looking at here is we're looking at a map of... Well, we have the Red Sea, where the Red Sea meets the Gulf of Aden, right around Djibouti and the corner of Yemen. You got Somalia, Ethiopia, Eritrea, Sudan. So this area right here, this is Pirate Alley. So pirates of Somalia, the pirates of Oman, the pirates of Eritrea, 
This is literally, Leon, the Gulf of Aden right here. This is literally the Caribbean. Huh. Like the, the Pirates of Aden could be a ride at Disneyland. It's amazing to me. But it, I mean, when you see these pirates, they're like rolling up on like mangas, you know, and they're like on going after huge oil tankers. Yeah, but they're going after them with rocket launchers and they're threatening to blow a hole in the side. Yeah. The Gulf of Aden, located between Yemen to the north and Somalia to the south, became a prime piracy spot amid the surge thanks to its status as a massive trade route that sees more than 20,000 merchant ships pass through each year. That, my friend, is because the Red Sea is the gateway to the Mediterranean. And according to our friend, Mr. McKnight, it's the wild, wild west out there. Hundreds of dows, either smuggling arms, drugs, or people, referring to the narrow ships that often operate without an identification signal. D-H-O-W. Mm -hmm. Rampant drug trafficking through the Gulf of Aden has spawned a biting nickname for the waterway, the Hash Highway. Wow. And weapons are often carried from Africa to Yemen on its seas. It's like trying to pick a needle out of a haystack of apprehending traffickers. Yeah, they little tiny boats. Good call, Leon. Yeah. Boarding parties can bring danger. The process of intercepting illegal goods in the open ocean is a laborious one. Citing his own experience commanding the still operational anti-piracy task force, McKnight said officials will usually go after a vessel only after they have sufficient intelligence suggesting the ship is carrying illegal items. Then they watch and wait. Authorities will track these dows, sometimes for days, McKnight said, as they hug the coastline. But the moment they exit territorial waters and make for the open seas, maritime officials are ready to apprehend them. Next comes the boarding party. Officials deal with both compliant and non-compliant boardings, depending on whether the vessel's inhabitants agree to be boarded. Only naval special warfare forces can conduct a non-compliant boarding, given the dangerous nature of the interaction. Even compliant boardings carry real risk. It's not for the faint of heart. In many cases, the people on these dows are simply hired to transport the goods. Sometimes they know what they're carrying, sometimes they don't. But they don't care what they're transporting. He says it could be rugs, drugs, or guns. And when maritime officials do encounter a jackpot, like the weapons seizure documented in this month's Navy court documents, government leaders can't help but show it off. There's no doubt that someone wanted to send a message, McKnight said, of the deck photo shoot. Pretty bitching, huh, Leon? It is. Uh, it's, I, there's so many weapons that have come out to kind of combat this. And I know a lot of them are, they're non-fatal, but um, I want to say that cruise ships now are, are they're carrying these ones that are like a super highly concentrated sound that they can point in a direction. It's just so brutally loud that it just, it's so disorienting that they have to go it's away from away. it. Yeah. So I assume if there is such a thing as the brown note uh, weapon that we should be using it in this circumstance as well. <laughs> you should play that brown note and make sure they all crap their pants before or they come out. show or show. Because you never know when or, somebody's going to roll up on your boat and say... Can I taste your juice? Yes, you can. <laughs> Come on, boy. No, it's my juice. It's my juice. Yeah, my juice. The consequences of repercussions. The consequences of repercussions. <laughs> but uh, you got the cornbread? Yeah, yeah, my cornbread. Yeah, you got any gum? <laughs> <laughs> oh, pirates. These ones are far less glorious, so I don't think they're going to make they're, a ride in Disneyland well, about real them. They're real and they do some shit. So little little fun fact here, Leon. You've got the Red Sea and the Gulf of Aden, which is on the the tip, the northeast tip of Africa. So this is actually the Western piracy run. And then if you go on the other side, you get the Persian Gulf and the Strait of Hormuz, and that's on the Oman side. So on the other side of the Saudi Arabian Peninsula, that's a whole separate piracy area. 
and all of them spill into the Indian Ocean. And it's just that whole that whole area on the southern tip of the Middle Eastern Peninsula right there by Somalia, that whole area is bonkers with piracy. Amazing. And I think the only ones that really get protection are any ship that's exporting to and from the United States and anybody carrying oil. They're typically the ones that get the good protection. But if you if you somehow get a container full of Nikes in there somewhere, that's gone. Yeah, it's hard to believe they would even go in and out. What's the point? It's too risky. Captain, Captain Rogers? Was that the one? Oh, no. I think we're c- crossing Mr. Rogers and um, I gotta look Captain, it up. Captain Phillips? Yep, that sounds right. Captain Phillips. Yep. Yep, that was it. Look at me. Look at me. <laughs> look at me. I'm, I'm captain the, now. I'm the captain. <laughs> yeah, Tom Hanks stars as Phillips alongside Barkhad Abdi as the pirate leader. And uh, it is a true story, largely based on Phillips' own account of the situation as told in his book, A Captain's Duty. Have you not seen that movie? Under, which has come under scrutiny in the years since for not painting a wholly accurate picture. Oh, hmm. artistic license. No, I didn't actually see it, but it looks good. It is good. It's hard to go wrong with Tom Hanks. You know? Does he make a really bad movie? Not very often. Not very often. See? So he's got a good track record. I'll come around to it, but I haven't seen any of his latest stuff. I haven't seen Otto or basically anything. I haven't seen anything. They're small children. <laughs> yeah. We're watching Ted Lasso again. That's what we allow ourselves. Uh, is this your second or third time through? This will be the third time through for me. It's fun then, to catch all the little uh, Easter eggs. Yes, for sure. Throughout it. What I think is from the first season through the halfway mark of the second season, they open all the threads. And then the last half of season two and all of season three, they close all the threads. Mm -hmm. And so the trick is, can you catch when they open them? And it's fascinating. One little Mm -hmm. thing that we noticed that I noticed this last week was when Dr. Sharon crashes her bicycle and she has to go to the emergency room and Ted goes to pick her up from the emergency room. Mm -hmm. The ER nurse that's treating her is Roy Kent's sister. No kidding. And what I don't know is if she's supposed to be Roy Kent's sister or if she was just random actress and they loved her so much, they brought her back in season three as Phoebe's mother. Don't know. It's a mystery, but it's exciting. (laughs) You do what you like. Live. That's live. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, that's like Woody Allen playing the violin. I don't want to hear it. That wraps up our top story. Let's get to the crank file. I could look for something in the crank file. Crank file. Whatever. Tonight's crank file comes to us from foodandwine.com. You this know, was dated a July wealth, Leon. So it's roughly, uh, carry the two, about two weeks old. Uh, but I thought this was just special. Now, I'm not a particularly a, a cheese man myself. Are you a cheese man? Um, yes. Yeah. I, okay. I would I would say I'm a cheese man. You're a cheese man. All right. So this is for all you cheese lovers out there. Burger King Thailand's newest offering is made for cheese lovers. It is a meatless menu item. Nothing short of unexpected. The article begins from Taco Bell testing a vegan crunch wrap to McDonald's trying out plant-based McNuggets. Going meatless is all the rage in the fast food world. And while Burger King's American restaurants have offered impossible Whoppers for years, a new international product is also getting in on the act. Just not at all the way you might expect. This week, Burger King Thailand unveiled a meatless burger. No, not a veggie burger. A literal meatless burger known as the real cheeseburger. Dun, dun, dun. 20 slices of American cheese on a bun. I don't think I could do it. And no- <laughs> that would be awful. <laughs> oh, God. The menu item dropped on Sunday, July 8th around the social media post ensuring people, this is not a joke. This is for real. I'm constipated just thinking about it. Yeah, it's, it's just a toilet trip waiting to happen. The burger is currently selling for 109 baht, which is about $3, Ty. Uh, again, 
burger quickly went viral with patrons flocking to the nearest Burger King to buy one and post about it on TikTok. Are 20 pieces aren't enough for you? According to the brand's Facebook post, you can add two more slices for 58 cents. While a cheesy sandwich sounds delicious to some, others who've tested once again in quotes burger say it's a little much. Yeah. So re <laughs> reporter Eric Serbano wrote in the review for Lifestyle Asia, it was as revolting as you thought it would be. Dry, <laughs> a shock to the digestive system, and literally a thousand <laughs> calories worth of unnecessary processed cheese. <laughs> that you know this is like a dare. That's another thing. For something called the real cheeseburger, there's nothing real about any of the cheese here. <laughs> oh, pasteurized processed cheese product. Oh, yeah. Oh, so that's... There's, a, there's a local here, Imjiptek. Imjipech? Mm -hmm. I'm sure I'm okay. getting that wrong. Imjipech. Anyway, we post the links. You read it. An IT engineer was a bit kinder in her review, telling CNN she typically enjoys cheese, but the spirits was a bit much. Food is good when things are at the right combination. There. Then again, this if feels you like a dare. This, it's it's a real it's a real thing. I found multiple sources for this story. This is a legit item at Burger King in Thailand. Uh, then again, if you do order this burger, you must know what you're about to get into. If a ton of cheese isn't your thing, you can always order, you know, a regular old cheeseburger with just one slice. How boring. But there are there are pictures. Pictures of this thing online, which are, for lack of a better word, fucking fascinating. So 109 yeah. baht, which is the Thai currency, which is typically about $3, will get you 20 slices of cheese for $3.50. You can go big. You can get 22 slices of cheese, but it's not even, not even what you would call real cheese. It's that, you know, craft single kind of cheese product. You know, when you watch documentaries about it, some asshole product manager from Kraft comes out and goes, well, my fake cheese melts better. And that's what people want. They want a cheese that melts better. And you're like, but it's not cheese. No, it isn't. It's a cheese product. Oh, I, I just don't think I could do it. And I like cheese. I could bite in. I could seriously bite into a block of cheddar and be no problem. bite into a block but, of cheddar. I'm cool with that. Yeah, but biting into this. Whew. Yeah, you, it's you have the a processed nice, uh, cheese part. You have a nice caprese salad with a big thick medallion and mozzarella. Like that's mmm. Oh yeah, that's the that's the ticket. Twenty slices of pasteurized cheese product. Uh, um, I don't know. To each his own. For those of you living, it. any of you bobs out there living in Thailand or of Thai descent, fucking knock yourself out, dude. Good for you. Take a picture of it. Send it to us. Absolutely. Give us a Bottleofbrown at gmail.com. That wraps up the crank file. Let's get to, let's get to some, let's do some adulting, Leon. Yeah. Okay. How old are you guys? We're not fucking kids anymore. On a scale of one to 10, how would you rate your pain? Everything hurts. I'm a grown ass man, dog. I pay taxes here, fucker. We're not like you. We're grown ups, motherfucker. When 900 years old, you reach, look as good you or not. Hmm? Any of you bobs out there that have seen Office Space, this is your jam, people. Washington Post, published July 10th. This is about the realest news we're going to get on the Bottle of Brown podcast. As I went all the way to the Washington Post for this one. Oh, so it must be real. Smashing printers might actually be bad for our health, but people are paying to break printers with sledgehammers in smash rooms <laughs> how fucking awesome is that awesome and you have to play the soundtrack if you're doing it right yeah hi it's bill Lum yeah it's yeah hi it's bill lumber yeah it's me again uh <laughs> hey, a lot of lumberg for me damn it feels good to be a gangster three 
grown men against one printer wasn't a fair fight, but Armando Islas and his friends didn't care. The three gathered around a defunct HP printer, brandishing giant hammers and standing in the smashed up remnants of dead electronics. Islas and two classmates were celebrating the end of their law school exams at Bay Area Smash Room, a basement unit where customers pay 120 bucks or more to break stuff for 30 minutes. Smashing the printer would feel good, they said, like revenge on the shoddy campus printers that plagued them through the past six semesters of grad school. That sort of rage against the machine has spawned an entire industry. Across the United States, customers can book sessions at a smash room and pay anything from dozens to hundreds of dollars to smash dishes, furniture, most of all, printers. Turns out those smashing printers is kind of dangerous. The now controversial ritual dates back to at least 24 years ago to the cult Mike Judge movie office space is it really 24 years old 24 years old oh my god what would you say you do here in which frustrated office workers take a printer to a field and smash it to pieces with baseball bats since 2016 or so smash rooms have provided a space where regular people can live their office space fantasies and all that smashing is good for the spirit owners customers say why do americans loathe printers so much they're paying actual money to hit them with sledgehammers so many reasons Say smashers. Printers jam, run out of ink, confuse the interns, not to mention more serious offenses like the irreplaceable components and short life cycles. HP, the largest printer maker by shipment, declined to comment. Revenge is a common motivator for Smash Room customers, says Miguel Moises, who owns and operates Bay Area Smash Room in San Francisco's financial district. And when visitors go out of their way to request particular items to smash, there's a good chance they'll ask for a printer. Sometimes we host corporate parties and they just want computers and printers. They go crazy. You don't even recognize the items they broke. What do you think, Leon? Would you would you do a smash room? Yeah, absolutely. When we, uh, I know we've talked about it in the past, but when we bought this house, uh, it, there was a lot of demo that needed to be done. And Triple B and myself, both sledgehammers in hand, it was the most cathartic feeling to just smash stuff. And we smashed a closet down. We smashed a whole entertainment center. Destruction. Wonderful. Oh, yeah. It was great. You do. It's like a endorphins just immediately go right into you. Like, yeah, that was awesome. Mm. It's also the same reason I like shooting clay. I just I just want to blow up that clay. Yeah, clay pigeons and fuckers. Yeah. <laughs> well played. The California Department of Toxic Substances, Substances Control, that website, says that while rage rooms themselves aren't illegal, smashing up e-waste is. It will investigate any rage rooms that smash e-waste and offer a button for visitors to report new rage rooms in their area as an environmental concern. Well done, California. What's happening in Los Angeles could happen in other places, said Sarah Murray, who oversees Wisconsin's statewide electronics recycling program, the Department of National Resources. The department has been visiting local rage rooms to get a sense of what's getting smashed and whether there's a risk. And so what they're concerned about is Anything with lithium, uh, with a lithium iron battery is at risk of catching on fire. People who come in contact with improperly recycled electronics, including vulnerable people overseas who search through landfills for resellable parts, are at risk for adverse health effects. Smash room operators can mitigate these risks by stripping electronics of their batteries and motherboards ahead of time or asking consumers to avoid smashing the recyclable chunks of cars or computers. The bigger problem is that electronics companies purposefully design products that break or fall out of fashion. Then those products pile up in landfills or smash rooms. We need a new model for reusing and refurbishing our end-of-life printers. If that happens, we also might need a new target for our aggression what else what else would you break in there electronics for sure because the printer is a fucker but what else um maybe some of the glass that doesn't hurt you it kind of just goes oh yeah the stuff uh, that splashes a bunch of little nuggets yeah 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 that's always fun 
uh, anything, honestly. I think, I, make, I think mad. this is not really a problem. I mean, is really enough printers getting busted to, to have an environmental impact here? I don't think so. Um, no, and I, I understand the idea because all the plastic bits are, can probably go into a landfill, but lithium and some of the rare earth metals and, of course, batteries. There's Batteries are awful things to throw into the landfill. But I think, you know, if you run a smash room, do your due diligence. Pull out the shit that people care about. All they want to do is crash the outside. They don't care about the inside. Yeah, there you go. How do you feel about it? I mean, you have a long, long history with printers. I do. And I don't have the same vitriol for them because I spent a lot of time with them. I learned the ins and outs of them. I learned how to tweak them. I'm trying to think of what I would smash. I'm trying to think like right now, some of my fire sticks are, are slow as fuck. I would smash them. Oh, modems. I would smash Ooh. fucking modems. Yeah. Because latency is the devil. <laughs> when I click a button, I expect reaction. So anything that causes latency, I'm going to fuck that shit up. Old ass hard drives, I'll be busting that shit up big too. Yeah, I, I think anything anything that makes a big mess, that's fun. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think also I got to throw in furniture. How much fun would it be to destroy furniture? Uh, I don't know. Talk to my dog. Well, the dog seems to love it. it. <laughs> you know what? You're right. I would totally destroy my couch. I'm, when I'm done with it. Well, we used to light couches on fire in college. Yeah. Well, a lot of people go to college for a seven of, years. A lot of people do the thing with the thing on it. <laughs> anyway, printers are the favorite. And uh, there are some environmental concerns. But really, if you had a sledgehammer and a printer in a half an hour, oh, what a wonderful world this would be. Like the song. Well, even the, the video in the article you're looking at, it's 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 cathartic just for me oh, to look at. It's so yeah, satisfying. It feels good. Bam. Get him. 20 pound sledge, put it on a printer like that. <laughs> that wraps up adulting. We uh, have a visitor in the Bob Media Studios. Man. Do we? Where did he I feel go? like it's a fly on the wall more yeah. than anything. I think he's, is he? Oh, look at that. Oh, look at that. The heir apparent has shown up. So apparently no. somebody walked into the Bob Media Studios, but he didn't come alone. Mr. Jones, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Jones has entered the Bob Media Studios. Oh, yes! What's up, new daddy? Hey, guys, how you doing? You look too well rested to be a new daddy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it, it's been a journey already, all I can say. Um, yeah, a lot going on. Good to see you, gentlemen. Sorry, I'm a little you late. You brought the prince on the pod. Yeah, he's right here. He's I'm going to eat you. Yeah, dude, you do want to eat them. They grow so fast, Bob's too. at home that can't see this, Mr. Jones is holding a tiny little flesh football. And I think he's, he's got cooperating and not yelling right now. Yeah. Mm. So wife's doing a great job and he's adorable. Sleeps through the, like, it's kind of like suck. cheating. I don't know. Two the babies time in around. a row that sleep through the night. You suck. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I can. We'll, well go that's to bed. What for. I hate you. Yeah, hate we go to bed face. around one, and he doesn't wake up till six or seven. Oh, that is that is something you special. Suck donkey balls. <laughs> no, oh. I don't have a glass right now, but I will cheers you both with a bottle of Buffalo Trace. All does right. it have any Congratulations. juice in it? Can I taste your juice? <laughs> I, I I did have a juice. It, it it's actually half made. It was going to be a pineapple bourbon mint cocktail. Oh, and it was gonna be really good. It was, you know, I cut up the pineapple, everything's crushed, and then everything kind of as, <laughs> as as new 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 parents find out that you have a set of plans that you want to have happen that don't exactly always fall into uh, fall into line for you. As is happens. All right, pineapple mint. Well done, sir. Well done. That wraps up adulting. That takes us to happy times. <laughs> 
This one I pulled, uh, one, because it made me laugh, but also kind of a fucking good done guy, because this one reminded me of the Kings of Comedy and Cedric. (laughs) The Kangs. The Kangs. The The classic. When Cedric got up and Cedric was doing his segment on the Kings of Comedy, because what is D.L. Hughley first, Mm -hmm. and then Steve Harvey was kind of the host, and then Bernie Mac closed the show, but somewhere in there was Cedric, and Cedric came out, and he was talking about all the sports that black people play, and then he went, hockey? I don't know about hockey. (laughs) They just let you fight. Let you fight. So, <laughs> tropical people don't like hockey. Well, guess what? Tonight's story comes from ESPN.com. This one's dated June 28th. So it's about a month old. Tennessee State, the first HBCU. That's right. Historical black college or university with an ice hockey program. Oh, it's happened. Well done, boys. Tennessee State University announced Wednesday it was adding a club men's hockey team, making it the first historically black college or university to introduce a college hockey program. Awesome. Nashville based school said the men's team will start play as a club program in 2024. And while no timeline was given TSU said its goal is to eventually field both a division one men's and women's team. Okay. The Nashville based school said the men's team will start play as a club. I already said that one. They're not bringing ice hockey to Tennessee state university as a part of our continued commitment to provide our students with new opportunities and to broaden new interests in areas where they have traditionally had limited or no access. TSU president, Glenda Glover. That's a great name. Glenda Glover. Hello. I'm Glenda TSU president. Glenda Glover. Yeah. TSU. My name, Gigi. Anyway, TSU president Glenda Glover said in a statement released by the school, we appreciate our ongoing partnership with the Nashville Predators, which has played a pivotal role in our decision to pursue this historic undertaking of starting an ice hockey program at Tennessee State, a first for HBCU. Pre-existing relationship between the Predators and TSU is what laid the foundation for the school partnering with the Preds, the NHL, and College Hockey Incorporated. From there, TSU took part in the feasibility study that was administered by College Hockey Incorporated, an entity that works to grow the collegiate game. College Hockey Incorporated, in conjunction with the NHL and the NHLPA, offers prospective schools a feasibility study to see if they're in a position to potentially add either a men's or a women's program, and in some cases, both. Study concentrates on the financial impact of adding hockey. It examines if schools can account for adding scholarships internally, how much it would cost an athletic department to add a coaching staff and support staff, along with a conference assessment to determine if a team has realistic options to join a league. The American Collegiate Hockey Association, which is the national organization for club hockey programs, has seen its former members transition to Division I. That was the case when Arizona State went from having a club team to eventually fielding a men's program. ASU won two national club titles before it became a Division I program in 2015. TSU Let's, said it's in the process of hiring a director of club hockey. Can we just pause hockey. on that? Go for it. Arizona State. Arizona State's where? Tempe, Arizona. Phoenix, yeah. And, uh, how many days did you have over 110 degrees? If you remember from earlier in the show, we're approaching the entire fucking month of July. <laughs> Yet hockey program. Got it. Makes, Makes a lot sense. of sense. Yeah. Well, Dude, well, I am a Phoenix Coyotes over fan for show. Do you know where you want to be on a 110 degree day? In a fucking hockey rink. That's where you want to be. <laughs> Somewhere else is usually my answer. Anywhere yeah. but outside in the sun. <laughs> you hear a lot of bullshit around. Oh, if you're in the shade, it's fine. If you have a mister system, it's fine. If you have a pool, it's fine. No, if I'm watching a hockey game, it's fine. <laughs> where were we? I love Sorry. you guys. I'm going to roll. He's, he's not going to stick around. Thanks good for to talk in, buddy. to you. All right, you guys take care. You too. Kiss the Prince. Bye. TSU said it's in the process of hiring a director of club hockey operations who will be responsible for fundraising, community partnerships, student athlete recruitment, and managing day-to-day operations. Together, we celebrate the power of collaboration as we dismantle barriers 
diversify the game, and propel hockey into a new era of inclusivity. This partnership serves as a catalyst driving change and ensuring that the game we love embraces the beauty of diversity. Fuck yeah. I believe that is an old, old wooden ship. Well done, Tennessee State. Old, old wooden ship. That is a good story. Glad to see it. HBCU to get into ice hockey. So guess what, Cedric? You have people play hockey now. You are wrong. (laughs) You wrong. That's because you wrong. Hey, why are you running? (laughs) Damn fool, you scared me. You almost, they almost got us. Girl, they <laughs> Girl, they almost got us. And the funniest part about that is they cut to a woman in the audience. She's like, I'd be gone. Oh, yeah. I remember that. Oh, that's so good. I need to watch that again. Oh, we do. Do we have a loath tonight, Liam? Or should we I have end a mini loath? I want to end on a high Just, note. What do you want to do? Uh, I am not going to loathe it because I'm just going to loathe about the same thing I've loathed uh, many times. And all I'm going to tell you is I'm not watching the women's soccer, <laughs> USA soccer. <laughs> if you've heard my loathes in the past, you know why. Is I will not watch them. Dispute? No, it's they won't even acknowledge the national anthem. They're playing for the United States, but won't acknowledge the national anthem. I don't know. I don't, Over I don't, half I don't, the team. I don't watch. Yeah. It's garbage. women's sports. Yeah. Don't, don't. Don't wear that jersey if you're not going to support it. Let me, let me, I'm going to go, I'm going to, I'm going to do a double-edged sword here, Leon. I support their efforts. I think that there's a reason that the women's soccer team is the world champions because I think they do a wonderful job of soccer in this country until you get to a certain point where all of a sudden it falls off. So the idea that major league soccer is kind of on the up and up with, with Lionel going to Miami, I think that's an awesome thing. Yay, soccer. Yay, ladies. But I keep falling back on one of the stand-up routines that I sent you from Bill Burr, where he's like, why do I have to save the WNBA? Women, step up. Watch. You save the WNBA. <laughs> exactly. So, ladies. Well, or the or <laughs> the family guy clip is <laughs> just one of the best. It's like... Boy, they sure do make it look difficult, but that's why she commands a salary of over $7,000 a year. But is having this abnormal talent worth being so unattractive? That's for the fan to decide. Yay. <laughs> that's fucked up. It's so dark. Oh, but that was years and years ago, and it still plays. Oh, I say, no, well I done, mean, ladies. I- but I, I can't find the game. I'm, I don't have cable. I don't, I don't, I'm trying to find the game. I'd like to catch one of the women's games, but this is the same problem that other sports have is if you make it so goddamn difficult to watch the game, I'm not going to watch it. Oh own. yeah. It was very hard to watch the open last weekend. Yeah. Just, I mean, it's, it's yeah, great. You locked, up, you locked yourself up in a contract. Good. Cry into your millions because if you wanted people to watch it, you got to make it accessible. That's one of the reasons that I think football and baseball are America's game is because you can watch football every Sunday on broadcast television. And for the most part, you can find baseball on broadcast television. It's when you lock it up in cable or you lock it up on, you know, who watches Monday night football anymore if you don't have cable? You got to have ESPN to watch Monday night football. So who watches it anymore? Who doesn't have cable anymore? I cut the cord years ago. I was one of the first. Thank you very much. Yeah, you were. But do you not use any streaming service? I do, but you can't find them. Like the, the whole reason I watch baseball is because I have the MLB app. And the whole reason I have the MLB app is because my youngest joined Little League of America. And mm-hmm. the commissioner said, thank you for supporting Little League. 
here's a free year of MLB app. That's the only reason I watch it. I don't have cable. I can't watch basketball. I don't have ESPN, so I can't watch Monday Night Football. I have Amazon, but apparently all the Thursday night games suck. And then what's left? Hockey. Can't watch hockey. I have Apple TV because of Ted Lasso, so I can watch Major League Soccer. But again, it's a problem of access. If I can't get to it, fuck do I care? Well, fair enough. I, I, one of these days, I am going to loathe about blackout games. Stupid. Oh, I'm going to loathe with So you. stupid. So stupid. <laughs> That's our show. You can email us at bottleofbrown at gmail.com. Give us a call, 602-529-4562. Leave a message for Danny, Leon, The Midge, Mr. Jones, any of our special guests. We would love to hear from you. Give us ideas for content or refute anything we say on the show. If you like the show, please like, follow, subscribe, and share with a friend. Every positive review opens up an opportunity for somebody else to find the show. So we really appreciate you spreading the word out there. Tell people about the show. Share with a friend. Let's get us out there so we can get more Bobs to enjoy our content. We are on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Share a quiet drink with us next episode. Same brown time. Same brown channel. Bottle of brown. This place is dead anyway, man. <laughs>